Listener Production. All right, so this is the comprehensive wrap and discussion debate on sport in 2023. Now, Sasha, are you actually a sports nut or is this you more as a journalist kind of just having to research? I really love sport, but I'm very particular about which codes I follow. Mm. You and I have spoken plenty about Mm. uh, rugby union. We're both big fans. I enjoy soccer as well. And I have pretty decent knowledge of the NRL thanks to my husband. So (laughs) we'll blame him for that one. But yeah, no, I do really enjoy watching sport and it's definitely not just a, oh, I'm a journo, I've got to know this stuff. Yeah, for me, it's a bit of both. Um, I've got my deep niche interests, but they are niche and increasingly so, especially rugby as it gets (laughs) sort of smaller, Um, cycling, skiing as well. But having grown up an Aussie kid where you play every sport, we actually all have a fairly high literacy in sport. Yeah. I can name every fielding position on the cricket field, for example. And actually, when I think about it, it can go right back into some, you know, trivia from the 90s, the classic classic days. But I also find it really interesting when sporting stories intersect with society. 100%. Which is what a lot of these stories do, like the biggest one of the year, the Matildas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much to that. And you know, you look at the top line stuff with the Matildas and obviously, to me, it was the biggest story of the year on home soil. Mm. Uh, the way it unified us, I just really feel after COVID, we had the elections last year, it just felt like there was so much division. It had been a really long time since we'd all kind of pulled together on something mm. and the Matildas was that thing. Uh the semi-final with England was the most watched Australian TV event ever, mm. ever. 11.5 million, they reckon. And I don't know if that even accumulates the like Optus Sport numbers and the streaming numbers all together. It was huge. My mum's texting me. She's never watched a soccer game in her life. Sash, I'm watching the game. I was like, wow, this is huge. And I think the flow-on effects from that will be seen in the years to come. I think, you know, there's this element of encouraging the next generation of players and of girls and women who want to play sport, making it cool as well. People were idolising these girls, as they should. They did an amazing job and it was unifying Australia but also, yeah, inspiring this next generation. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I think when people finish up this year, they'll be able to remember where they were for that quarterfinal shootout, right? 100%. I know a girl I work with here at Listener, actually, who lives in Sydney and drove to Brisbane on a whim that night. Hmm. She saw that the tickets, she was like, there's tickets, I'm going to go. And I remember opening Instagram that night after the win and saw she'd put on her stories that moment of Courtney Vine scoring the winning penalty and I was just like, how did you get there? She's like, I just wanted to go. Like, it was just, you will remember where you were 100%. 21-year-old Courtney Vine at her first World Cup can write the Matildas into history. Cue the party! I was at Threadbow um, <laughs> DJing as the game was playing, hosting a big party there, and I got off stage at the end of it to run um, from this big outdoor area through this really crowded bar to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And I'm like, something's going on in here. (laughs) What's happening? And I came back out and there were just groups of like 
five or six all huddled around their phones streaming the game live, watching the penalty shootout. Yeah. So it was a very bizarre sight that I will never forget, the, mm. the excitement and the intent way people were gathering around their phones. Such a 2023 moment. Yeah, absolutely. And that speaks to that idea of it being a unifying moment as well for Australia. I can't think of the last time, except for maybe Pokemon Go, when so many people were all doing the same thing at the same time, <laughs> uh, huddled around their phones or in their living rooms. I was in my living room with my husband. The dog was very upset at me because I kept going, <gasps> because he hates when we make loud mouth noises and he was very upset with us that night because we were just so amped up for this game. All right. I don't want to hear anything more about your mouth noises, by the way. Um, yeah, it was a bad choice of words. <laughs> um, so there was, as we discussed when we did the rugby episode a few months ago, there was an amazing wave of social momentum around the Matildas' performance. It mm. sort of required all these ingredients to make such an incredible moment Obviously, performance was huge because after they lost a round match to Nigeria, people were almost signing off. Yeah. But then they came back. But there, there is this growing love for women's sport and a desire to see it in a more equal position with men's sport, basically, at, a, at an amateur level, but also at that, that top level. Mm. But that same wave, I think, is the same wave that took um, Louis Rubiali's right out to sea. Yeah, and that was... The unfortunate kind of way that the World Cup finished, obviously Australia went on to play the bronze medal match against Sweden and unfortunately we lost. Um, but what was such a great World Cup and I think our reflections of that, maybe not so much here but around the world, then turned to Rubiales. In Spain it would have been a weird vibe. Oh, my God. Yeah. They just won. So, yeah, you know, Spain beats England in the final uh, and then there's that kiss. R Louis Rubiales comes on and oh, he was standing on stage congratulating the players and Jenny Hermoso, he kissed her uh, and it just turned into this – it's still going. There's still inquiries into what happened. He was stood down. FIFA got involved. The UN got involved and – I find it disappointing that that's kind of overshadowed everything for mm. Spain and for what was such a successful World Cup as well. Yeah, it was just just a bizarre way for the whole thing to kind of finish up mm. and for the aftermath of Spain's win to be tainted. Um, tough women there in Spain, though. They'd gone through hell just to get there. There'd been a massive player revolt. People had left the side because of that culture of leadership. Yeah. Um, then they stood up and won and then still stood up and, and didn't back down. Mm. And eventually they they were victorious in that fight against Rubiales as well. All seems unnecessary though. Yeah, God. I know. It was a lot. But also the thing that um, I found interesting was that it sparked a wider feminist movement in Spain itself uh, against, you know, misogyny and sexism and, and, you know, these sort of behaviours that men in certain sex feel like they can do and that they shouldn't be able to do. Mm. We'll talk about this a bit more, I think. There's some like interesting reflections about leadership that have come out of mm. sport this year. They come out of all, all parts of society, um, including corporate leadership this year where we've seen some mm. massive resignations and a huge amount of intense visceral scrutiny on, on corporate leaders. Um, we'll get to Eddie Jones later. <laughs> but I think one thing we have to talk about is the Australian cricket team. Now, for some reason... I don't know, but it just it hasn't hit the headlines as hard as some of these other sporting moments. But this will go down as a massive, massive year in Australian cricket where 
we retained the ashes with huge controversy. Yeah, I remember like, that. Really intense. Mm-hmm. Um, while we were there in England, we won the World Test Championship. Um, the final was against India. And then just in November, we won that incredible one-day World Cup against India in India with just some real standout individual performances from Travis Head, mm. also Glenn Maxwell earlier. This will be one of the best years in Australian cricket history. But you're right, it doesn't really... Okay, I'm not... I'm um, up front, I'm not a big cricket fan. Mm. I know what I need to know for the news and for my job, okay. but... This is where you do your research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's where I'm frantically Googling. Um, but... It didn't, like, I don't know, I just don't feel like it cut through that much. I don't remember seeing that much hype. I know that the players came back, but then they all kind of had to spread out and go do different tournaments and different things. So there was no big celebration, you know, coming home World Cup heroes. I think the problem that's happening with cricket that is dividing our focus is there's just so many competitions. It's so hard to keep track of. Back in the day, Mm. the good old days, (laughs) there were two competitions, really. It was the one-dayers and the test series. Mm. Now, T20 has really complicated that. The way players are now financially incentivized to play all these different T20 competitions around the world, which means they're not here as much, and it really sort of splinters the game. Yeah, Yeah, and there's the Big Bash as well, which has been pretty successful here. Um, But you're right. I I mean, I, I have to make sure I know exactly what format you know, before I'm reporting on a score or whatever, mm. I'm like, okay, double check. Is this the right format? Is it Big Bash? Is it T20 one day international um, and the test? But, yeah, to me, you know, cricket's, cricket's not going anywhere. Everyone loves cricket. The Magpies and their massive army are going to win a record equaling 16th flag. How sweet it is. Collingwood win the grand final. Okay, let's talk AFL. In terms of what will go down in the history books, yes, we'll get to Collingwood, but... Um, <laughs> The announcement in Tasmania of a new AFL club, that's huge. Yeah, and this has been on the cards. There have been fights for this since formerly 92, Mm. um, but the first kind of proposal, which was informal, was brought up in 87. So this has been a long time coming for Tassie. They are big AFL heads down there. And, yeah, they got approved for a team, 2028. Yeah, that's so exciting. Um, And then, yeah. Collingwood won a very, very dramatic grand final. Yeah, it was really hot as well in Melbourne that day. Um, but yeah, 13-year drought for the Pies. And of course, you know, they've had some issues in recent years. And I think this was one of those moments for the club that was really galvanising. And I think they're really excited for the future as well. And I think it's basically, it's the club with the most supporters and probably the arguably the loudest supporters in the AFL as well. So that also made it quite a big deal for them to bring it home. Yeah, we will never hear the end of it, at least until next year and maybe another team (laughs) takes the flag. Moving on to rugby league, which seems to be in a very healthy place. Yeah, yeah. So obviously this year uh, the Panthers made it a three-peat. Now that's the first time in 40 years that an NRL team has managed to make it three grand final wins in a yeah, row. crazy. Just no one can get close to them. I remember the start of well, this season. Yeah. they nearly lost the game. Like, it was a crazy comeback. Totally. but and, and gone down as one of the best deciders in NRL history as well, this game. It's the greatest grand final escape in the sports history. Penrith have done it. They make it three and the debate is settled. This is the greatest team of the modern era. 
I remember at the start of the season, the Panthers were kind of nowhere and I thought, oh, finally. I have this thing. I love the underdog. I mm. hate having to watch one team just win again and again and again. Memories of Queensland versus New South Wales in the state of origin for all those years. And I thought, oh, maybe finally it's someone else's turn this year. But you can't deny the success of the Panthers under Ivan Cleary. It's very, very impressive. Mm. But, you know, I think maybe someone else's turn next year. Oh, okay. Hopefully. Losing the coach. Wow. He just fired <laughs> the most successful NRL coach in 40 years. No, I mean another team should win next oh, year. Okay. Ivan can stay. I'm happy for him to right. stay. But I want okay. someone else to have a go. All right. So, yeah, the um, if you've got the Matildas up one end of a – success spectrum and a public support spectrum. You've got the Wallabies mm-hmm. down at the other end. Down so, the you know, maybe the rugby wouldn't even make a rap of the year kind of conversation, but it was just so disappointing and controversial this year that we got to talk about it. Mm. I and we've talked about this before of as as journalists we often despite us enjoying the game and being fans of it we leave it out of things because we know that it's just not that big in Australia. Mm. Not that many people care. The reason that I thought we had to talk about the Wallabies this year is because it feels like where we're at now this is either the beginning of the end or the beginning of a resurgence for rugby in Australia. They are at the bottom of the barrel. Mm. There, I, I can't see any further that Australian rugby can sink on the grand scale, on the on the platform of, you know, sport in Australia. I can't see how much further they can sink. Obviously, we had the World Cup this year. We had, which we crashed out in the group stages for the first time ever. Yeah. We had the Eddie Jones fiasco. He was picked in January. Uh, he was very bullish in the media. He, he was... You give yourselves an uppercut. Worst press conference. Well done, boys. Good luck. You to give yourselves an uppercut. Quote of the year for me as a rugby fan. And later on, maybe I should give myself an uppercut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, players were confused, you know, dumping senior players, saying, oh, we're going to win the World Cup with this younger team and then having these historic losses to these teams that we typically beat. Mm. And the RA boss being forced out at a board meeting in mid-November. And uh, now what is the question? Yeah. What do we do now? So we've got a new chairman. We've got a new chief executive in Phil War. So mm-hmm. they're both with Dan Herbert, two ex-players now steering the ship. Yeah. We don't have a coach. We don't really have a captain. Who's going to steer this ship? We've got those new executives, but wow. Mm. So, yeah, if you look at the, the sort of broader curve here, it's either – this year, 2023, was like a fatal blow in a downward spiral or it was the nadir in a comeback story. And the reason that narrative may take that shape is that we have a World Cup to look mm. forward to here in Australia in four years. Yes. We're going to host the Rugby World Cup. I think it's all based in results, right? If the national mm. team's winning, there's interest, there's support for that team from a white... Look, the Matildas, like we talked about. My mum had never watched a soccer game in her life and then she's supporting the Matildas. Mm. And I think that that's it. If you get if you win games and you get results, people watch. Yeah, what goes through my mind as you say that is that you can have all these conversations about sport. You can have your theories. You can have your opinions on leadership and decision-making, um, the social movements around the game, which yeah. we've touched on, um, whichever game you're talking about. Um, but it's really about the scoreboard, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah. Imagine if the Matildas had crashed out in the group stages. Mm. Would we have cared as much? Probably not. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. So, and you know, 
like you said, there's so many big issues around sport. We Aussies love sport. We love to watch it. We love to talk about it. We love to get down on the coach when they're doing a terrible job. We love the pile on. And, you know, it's in our DNA. And 2023 gave us a lot of great sporting moments, some ones that potentially we want to forget about. Um, But, you know, I can't wait for next year. And thinking about Next year in sport, it's the Paris Olympics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in Paris a few months back and the rings are already out and about everywhere. They're getting ready for it. The one thing I'm really excited for about the Olympics is it's the first Olympics. The breakdancing will be a sport category. That's ridiculous. Why? It's not a sport. Well, it is now. It's, um, yeah. (laughs) And surfing, great for the Aussies. That's cool. And like... What a location for Olympic Games, Paris. That will be so grand. And we'll remember that, oh, yeah, we're awesome at swimming. (laughs) Let's get excited about swimming for the first time in four years. Yeah, exactly. It's always Com Games, Olympics, then we kind of forget for a while and then it all rolls back around again. But remember Tokyo. I mean, the the swimming performance, especially the female swimmers, it was just mind-blowing. So um, I might start, you know, getting more into my swimming than my rugby for next year. Great idea. (laughs) Self-preservation.